sit back in my chair, so I'm going to move my microphone. Hi, everybody. This is Roberta Fallon. I'm here today at the Galleries at Moore radio station, TGMR, live on the radio, on the internet. And today I'm here with Douglas Whitmer. Hello, Douglas. Hi, Roberta. Thanks for coming out on a windy morning. Um, Douglas Whitmer is this amazing artist. He makes these very spare, abstract paintings, very deeply considered about perception and feeling and memory and materials. There's a lot of Douglas himself in these paintings, which we want to get into later because it's an interesting way to make abstract art kind of from the inside out, although I suppose it could be said a lot of abstract art is from the inside out, but some is more close to the person than others. Um, Douglas has shown work nationally at MoMA PS1 and the Painting Center in New York and many other places, internationally also and locally. His work has been featured at PAFA, where he's an uh, MFA grad, and Tiger Strikes Asteroid, where he is a member. Um, right now, he's got a show that you should all run out and see that's up through March 12th, so there's plenty of time to get out there, and the show is called Dub Gloss. And we'll, we'll hear about what that means. It's a little close to Douglas, so I'm guessing it has something to do <laughs> with Douglas, but it's Dub Gloss, and it's at Tiger Strikes Asteroid. And actually, uh, Douglas is going to be playing music live in response to the work in the gallery on uh, Friday, March 10th, not this Friday, but the following week, 7 p.m. So, Douglas, that was a big, long introduction. I'm sorry about that. Tell us about the origin of Dub Gloss, the name and the show. Okay. Well, the name uh, Dub Gloss, it, it is the Gaelic source of my first name. Um, I, um, and it's been, that, that Gaelic uh, phrase has not necessarily been in my mind for a long time, but the idea of dark water, it means dark water, uh, has been um, in my mind for a long time as kind of a, um, just a very intuitive kind of source phrase for um, a feeling that it just kind of guides a feeling about about what I've been wanting from the work. And and so the, the, the title of the show is Dubaglas, but the, and the title of the music piece will be called Dark Water. Um, and um, I had no idea that names actually had deep meanings like that. I mean, I suppose everybody's name has a meaning, an origin. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, you know, I remember being in maybe the fifth or sixth grade when I looked the, the meaning of my name up in, in a meaning book or something. And I remember at that time, um, you know, I don't remember the Gaelic part of it, but I remember that the meaning said uh, dweller by the dark water. Oh, wow. And, um, and I also looked at my dad's name. My dad... His name was Dale, and um, his his meaning said dweller in the valley, and I I don't really think that my parents connected my name to his name you know in that way, but I but at that time I think I intuited a kind of connection between the two names that there was a valley leading to water. And so oh forth. my gosh, you As you a made a whole story about this. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's kind of, it was a kind of a nice meaningful memory, um, but the idea of the dark water. Um, sort of a very mysterious kind of state, um, perhaps um, a brooding kind of state and maybe a state of uh, uh, 
maybe uh, uncertain. Um, threatening, maybe? Threatening, yeah, bit? fraught, you know. Um, it, it, it's kind of the way I've been feeling about painting lately. Uh, when I'm painting, uh, there's a state of kind of a bit of disorientation, um, an unrest, um, which has been different than the kind of feeling that I think I've gone for in past work. Um, so, and then there's also been, you know, in, in a culture right now, water has been such a gigantic uh, issue. Um, yeah, global warming, the melting yes, of the ice caps. Yes, yes. Um, and the Dakota Pipeline and yes. you know, whatever you, in our culture. And then of course, you know, we have just the murkiness of the, of the moment of our, of our country and our world. Yes, so. we're in dark water. Yes, yeah, and, and will the swamp be drained? You know, all this, all these, it's all out there and, and it all kind of correlates. But then the, on, on the flip side, you know, water still is life-giving. Water is still, um, there's something peaceful about it um, and, and very powerful about it. And, um, and then the fact that it was connected to my name, um, I just decided just to kind of, um, uh, as a friend said, just align with what was kind of in front of me. Yeah. That's a good friend. Give yeah. you good advice. Um, you grew up in Lancaster County and in the Mennonite culture. Mm -hmm. I assume that means that you were of that religion when you grew up. Your parents were of that religion. You went to church, et cetera. And you've called, uh, you've characterized it as a culture that has deep connections to simplicity, peacemaking, and humility, mm -hmm. which is very interesting. I wonder if you could just talk about that a little bit because not a, it's a rather small mm -hmm. religion, mm -hmm. I think, people-wise. And so tell us about it. Sure. Um, well, first I want to make sure that, you know, less people get a picture of me as, you know, a, a kid riding around in a horse and buggy in Lancaster County. That was not the way I grew up. I mean, I, I looked like a typical suburban kid. Were you a skateboarder? No, that was, I was actually a little older. My younger brothers were. Um, but, um, but still, the, the culture within which yeah, I grew up was, was pretty distinct in terms of the way we, um, way we conducted ourselves, let's say. And, and my, you know, my grandmother still wore head coverings, and actually my mother did until a certain point uh, that, I, that I still remember. So I was in, uh, in the late 70s growing up. Um, I, I feel like I was witness to the kind of dying embers of a certain <laughs> part of tradition of Lancaster County Mennonites. That's still alive in some, in some parts, but it's increasingly smaller and smaller. Um, so what, um, how did art come into yeah. your life? I mean, because that sounds like a particular structured existence. Yeah. If I can impose my own vision yeah. of it. Yeah. Well, I was, yeah, I was just going to say, I, I went to Mennonite schools uh, my whole life and I also, you know, we were very active in church. So it was, I was very steeped in the, in the part of the culture that we were part of. So, you know, within the, the Mennonites, um, because of their history, um, as you know, both kind of counter to the Catholic Church and counter to the the Lutheran Church of Europe in the late 1500s, early 1600s, they were dismantling. I mean, there was no liturgy and there was no iconography. It was a very iconoclast tradition. So um, you know, the visual arts play out in that culture um, in in really decorative ways. Um, so if you're going to do something visual, you might, as my grandmother would, set 
the most lovely dinner table, mm. you know, and 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 compose that that table space as you know, um, with incredible visual, you know, panache, uh, or you know, you make things that are very functional and very beautiful. Um, so, and that's the quilt tradition. That's um, furniture tradition, pottery tradition, so Sounds on. Sounds a little like shaker, in, in a way. In some ways, yeah. Some ways, but yeah. yeah, but the shaker community, I think, was even more, you know. Extreme. Uh, closed off, yeah, from from the rest of the world. Um, so, it it was um, as someone who was interested in making um, making visual images, got a lot of messages that um, that I should maybe move towards things that had uses um, and um, or or you know could be used or design because that could be used towards something had some sort of real. Um, very, very quickly understandable function within society. So that, um, but, um, and then the other thing was, you know, we didn't, since we didn't really have images, I didn't really learn about allegory and I didn't really learn about metaphor because everything was so literal. Wow. Yeah. So that I think has really come into the, my painting being so what they are as these very frontal objects in the world, you know, that the, their image is, is, you know, it's it's very material, um, and uh, and there was still a high emphasis on if you're going to do something, do it well. So I feel I like to feel like my paintings are, are very well made and still beautiful objects. Um, I think all of that comes into it. Um, so did you read the Bible? I mean, I just I don't want to dwell on the religion aspect yeah. so much, but the Bible is highly metaphoric and allegorical. Yeah, yeah, we did, but and you know, I had to memorize and recite. Bible in class for grades um, when I was a kid, but um, but maybe it wasn't emphasized the allegorical well, what, part so much. No, no. What what was emphasized was Jesus. This is what Jesus did. This is the truth. It's history, and this is now what you do. You know, it's very one to one kind of relationship. Um, truth. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't quite rammed down our throats like that. Sounds really harsh. I mean, if we were kids, and it was, but it was, still was. Like, this is the example to follow, and this is what you do, you know? Yeah, as someone that grew up Catholic, it sounds very much like the way I was taught. Yeah. This is the way it is, and this is the example, and this is what you do. Right. Kind of a recipe. Right. With the difference being, so Jesus got baptized by John the Baptist as an adult. Therefore, you know, you wait until you're an adult to be baptized, yep. which is a big, big split. Big difference. Was one of the biggest splits for the Mennonites. From the, Yeah, mm -hmm. anyway. Huh. So that says to me that early on you were doodling, you know, maybe you had a pencil or something mm -hmm. and you were doodling, but you were not encouraged in your doodling except to go towards design or furniture making or some of these alternative useful things. Yes. However, I did have a, uh, in my little Mennonite uh, grade school, um, I did have an art teacher who, who had sort of, who knew who knew there was more, you know, beyond. And she, I, 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 should, I should name her name here because her name was Velma McGill, still living. She uh, took me under her wing. Um, she, I think my earliest memory of painting, uh, I, don't, I may have been in sixth or seventh grade. She must have taken me on a Saturday to the, to the DeMuth Garden uh, outside the house where DeMuth lived in Lancaster County mm. and set me up or something. I, I remember trying to paint daffodils. So that's a sort of springtime memory that's kind of just 
coming. But she also, um, when I was 14, uh, brought me to the Philadelphia Museum of Art for the first time. Wow. And I saw Jasper Johns. Um, and I saw the Franz Klein painting, uh, Torch's Mauve, which is the big black and sort of purple painting um, that kind of made me want to paint. Wow. So she, she knew, you know. Um, and already you were thinking abstractly or drawn to abstract art. When I saw that, I was, yeah, yeah. So. Interesting. Um, well, uh, let's talk about art as useful or not. Mm -hmm. um, you are very prolific. You make a lot of art. And I want you to tell people about this wonderful project that you did called Neighbor Who, which invited people to get in touch with you and you would make them a painting mm -hmm. and send it to them. And it was part of a larger, kind of a quilt almost looking array. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's funny you, you used that word. I, I hadn't thought of that until now, but that's kind of, that's kind of true. So, you know, I think um, I, I think the election ha has affected everybody in their own way. Um, mostly for artists, uh, it's been a huge negative, right? I mean, uh, yeah, artists are very sensitive. They internalize everything, and it's terrifying. Yeah, um, and and I was I was there with everyone else. I mean, I was. Election night. At one point, I just I, I was roaming the streets. I really was, literally roaming the streets, thinking about um, the future that I hadn't really thought about. Um, but um, so about two weeks after the election, I I was I went and saw some gallery shows, and I just it was it was the first day. It was a Saturday. It was the first day that I felt like my mind was calming down a little bit, you know, that, that day. And I uh, think I was, th I remember thinking, man, seeing this art is helping me. Like I'm actually using it, you know? And um, I mean, that's something I always think about how, as I said before, how can abstract, how can abstract art be used? Um, what c and I'm always looking for, for the way, for ways and examples that communities use what seems like abstraction, such as petroglyphic, you know, uh, drawings or uh, the whole Tantra tradition um, and the, the Tantra drawings of India, which are very highly geometric and abstract. Um, so I thought, you know, if I, I'd like to just make something with a real, a real direct use purpose and contextualize it that way for people and maybe, maybe help. You know, and ask if you ask if someone wants something. Can I? Can can this? Because again, I think people also don't know. I think that people were thinking like they didn't. At least I was. I just didn't quite know what to offer in that time. So I just decided I'm just going to offer what I have right here in front of me. Um, but what you were also offering was community for people to be part of a group. Yes. That you were collecting basically yes. through your yeah. Effort. Yeah, so the so the idea didn't uh, didn't arise completely fully formed, but but short but pretty shortly after I began thinking about it, I realized that I would make uh, I would invite people to see to see if they wanted something, or if they could use something. Uh, I would make the, the things in such a way that it was almost like my, a personal kind of performance. Let's say that is to say that. I knew that I would be doing enough volume that it was going to stretch me a little bit, so I would have to do it in a kind of serial manner, 
more more so than I you know I've ever done with something else. And also, I wanted to make them connected to each other in the beginning, and have there be something about them visually that communicated each each part that each person got. There needed to be some kind of a, a visual communication on that. That that communicated that it was connected to something that else. It was right? part of the larger whole. Correct. And um, so uh, I began them. Uh, each each piece um, was about uh, six by nine inches or six by eight inches, maybe. Um, started on several pieces pieces of twenty two by thirty inch paper, uh, and each I knew where uh, where I would tear the paper down. So I at each of those places at each interval I was placing a a thumbprint. Uh, my my thumbprint. I yeah. wondered about that. It looks yeah. like a little notch of yes. some sort. Yes. Yes, and that was placed in there with just like some matte medium. I couldn't really even see it. I was just putting it on there. And that was like a way of, I, I, I've, I've used that in um, some drawings and things in the past. Um, I like it as a kind of a, a seal sometimes. It's, it's, it's just a, it was a very personal thing. So there, there I am residing, you know, boom, boom, boom in, in each uh, piece. And um, I knew that that print would be then uh, torn through. Um, so half of it would be visible on one person's piece and half of it would be visible on another person's piece. And then um, the the colors, there were four colors. Um, there was a, a red, blue, uh, green, and yellow. And, the, and that color scheme came from um, the project I had done at Tiger Strikes Your Asteroid in, in 2015, which was a set of four paintings that were, were red, blue, green, and yellow, which were then just subjected to about 15, 20 layers of this black wash. So they became really, really dark. These were like seven foot tall paintings. So I just sort of revived. I knew that was gonna, gonna work. I wanted that kind of, um, I wanted that subdued darker color. And then finally I knew that uh, each piece would be divided in half. One, one half being matte black and the other half being this subdued color. So, um, the, the pieces were started together, then ripped apart, and then sort of finished the, um, the, some of the staining and the, and the, and the, and the, the matte black was, a, was a actually a, um, each piece was divided very quickly um, and, hand, and hand painted. So each one is unique. And I ended up doing 200 of them between November 15 and December 8. It was, oh and uh, honestly, I'm still, the, the last few, the administrative side of the project became the the real project, really. It was kind of funny. And then um, they're still, I have a, just a few left to send for a variety of reasons, but um, they're almost all out of the studio now. Um, and they, they are in six continents around the earth. So uh, it's that was pretty gratifying. And I'm starting to get some little... I'm getting echoes back of where they are and photographs. So yeah, great. so six continents. So this is your sort of friendship network. Um, yes. Or your well, well, it's your mailing list and your yeah. It went yeah. It went out. the The invitation went out to my mailing list and across social media. You know, so I and I, ha I knew I I gave people about two weeks to respond, and there was no cost. You know, so that's the other thing. Like, we I figured out how to make it cost-effective for international shipping, and people paid for the shipping. Uh, it, it worked out to be about $4, something like that. Um, everybody shared in the cost of shipping, which is to say, knowing how many I 
I was going to make and basically knowing where they were going to go, you know, the people who were in the United States who maybe their shipping was only a $2 cost, we're paying, we're subsidizing the people, you know, in New Zealand. Um, so that, that felt also good. Everyone participated together. Some people actually uh, paid me for more than the shipping. Some people gave me some money to offset the supplies. I mean, it was really... That's lovely. Yeah, it was great. And so then um, the other important part of the, of, that, of the project was there's a stamp on the back of each um, piece that explains the whole concept and um, also explains that, the, that this piece was a gift. And I kind of have a request on the back that says, please never sell this piece. Give it away again. Um, you know, I don't know if there will ever be commerce involved in that because um, my work isn't collected like that. But um, just in case, you know, <laughs> I, I just wanted to think about the future of that project. So um, connecting people around the world to each other I, and then the neighbor who title, um, you know, comes from comes from that, that background in, in a Christian education. Um, you know, I didn't want to knock people over the head with with that, but that's that's the question. Uh, it's the question that Christ uh, asks. Um, well, r rather, um, it's the question that is asked to Christ by a lawyer uh, right before Christ tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, when Christ says, love thy neighbor as thyself, and the, the lawyer says, well, who is my neighbor? And then Christ proceeds to to tell the story of the Good Samaritan as the answer. Mm -hmm. So um, so that just rides along as well. Yeah, it, it's a very wonderful project. And it I don't know it's both activist for you, but it seemed like such a community-spirited project for those who weren't making the art but were on the receiving end of it. Mm -hmm. So to a certain extent, it was participatory. Yes, absolutely. E even though it was a little bit passive, but it's, it was a very participatory thing to say, yes, I want this, I want to be part of this group, and to, you know, just stay with the project and follow what was yes. going on with it. Yeah, and for me, it, you know, it was, it, was, it was activating. I mean, it was an, an empowering. Um, and so that was great uh, for me personally, um, just to sit there and make this stuff, and it really sort of set the course and set a mindset. Um, and kind of um, strengthen my personal resolve. Uh, um, so that was that was really positive. Um, and um, hmm, there was one other thought I had. I, I may not be able to 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 bring it back up. Um, All right. Well, let's yeah. Let's move on. And yeah, yeah, If it sure. comes back up, just <coughs> blurt it out. Yes. Um, I want to get into your music now because you are a musician. You play multiple instruments. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure which ones. Mm -hmm. You compose for mm -hmm. yourself. Um, you're a very active listener. You're mm -hmm. listening all the time mm -hmm. to music. So um, talk about when music came into your life. Um, music, well, early, early on, that was, you know, um, before art really came into my life. Um, I... Uh, I, that, that's, yeah, I, I went into college actually as a double major in music and, and art and, and never, I, I eventually just kind of, the music major I dropped, but I probably, I just stopped taking the proper prerequisites and I cherry picked, mm -hmm. you know, and so I never really got the, I didn't get the music major, um, but I maybe had the credit hours for it. Um, so 
Uh, yeah, it's just you know, I, um, I, I always, I, uh, I've always been involved in music in some way or another, and um, and always writing music, you know, um, since high school, in the rock band format, or or, or you know, um, I wrote some choral pieces when I was younger. Um, I don't think I was very good at it, but it was something that I liked, and I listened widely, and um, so I've done, I've, I've done just kind of for my own personal gratification, some um, more of what you might call ambient music um, over the past number of years. I've never really, it's out there, it, you know, it can be downloaded um, on Bandcamp, but um, it's not something I've really pushed. But I have always been interested in, tr at some point, doing some kind of a combination of my painting and some kind of musical thing. And I, I, th I felt like, again, and this is partly the election, things have just be kind of become now or never, you know? And um, That sounds pretty dire. I know, but... It's kind of the mindset yeah, of the times. Yeah, you know, like, oh, I've been thinking about this now for years. Okay, let's get it, let's get this done. Let's do this, you know. Um, so, you know, maybe it's activist, or it's has, I've been activated. I've I've felt I feel very helpless in a lot of ways, but I've felt very activated in the studio um, to start to really populate the world with this stuff, you know, and get it going now. So, does the music come in the studio, or is that in the home? Where do you do the writing and the yeah the at home now? Um, yeah, um, someday it would be great to have it there, uh, and it has been in the studio in the past, uh, depending on where the studio is. But um, I mean, during the studio day, there's something going on in headphones all the time, and um, including your own music. Sometimes, or? yeah, if I'm if I'm working on something. Um, so I, yeah, so this is something I'm working on now, and um, it's going to be about a 20-minute long, um, mostly guitar, electric guitar based. There's some there are voices. Uh, I've the voices of several Tiger Strikes Asteroid members will be in Live? the in the piece. No, they will be recorded. recorded. Mm -hmm. um, That's cool. Yeah. Br bring your posse with you when you're doing things. Yeah. Again. Well, I, I wanted to, again. It's more than just them, but I also wanted to bring. It's, I knew it was going to be there, and in that space, I wanted some of the, my colleagues' voices, you know, there as well. Very cool. Um, I want to say to everybody that you are a family guy. You're married, and you have three children, uh, school-age children. They're not, like, grown or anything. Mm -mm. You're not that old. <laughs> um, and you're also a business guy. You are the co-founder of Green the Green Line Cafe yes. Empire in yeah. Philadelphia. <laughs> Yes, don't call it an empire. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the cafes, the cafes of the Green yes. Line. Um, so uh, it seems to me you are a very speedy guy. You're, you have a very active life with your family. Mm -hmm. You have an active studio practice. You just did this massive project, The Neighbor Who. You have a show right now. This is a crushing amount of work. Um, yeah, I mean, I, if you say so. <laughs> It was funny when you were when you were speaking there. I was just thinking, man, I've been speaking too too fast this whole time. And then you you know kind of described me as a speedy guy, <laughs> um, and I probably am speaking too quickly. But um, no, that's all true about me. Um, well, the the thing about the cafes, I mean, um, my business partner and I started the cafes um, 
the first one opened in 2003. Um, we started into, we bought the building at 43rd in Baltimore where the first lo uh, location is uh, in the fall of 2001. Um, and it, it took us about a year to renovate. Um, so yes, you know, 14 years ago um, when we opened. Um, the first number of years, you know, I wasn't making as much art. Um, and so I'm, I'm really, right now I feel very privileged to be in a spot where I have a lot of control over the day to, my day-to-day -day schedule. Um, I don't have to be in the cafe, you know, at certain hours every day. And, and my business partner and I actually have, in the last number of years even, um, kind of defined our roles even better than we used to. And so, you know, I, it's, it's been really, really good. Um, so that gives me the time. And my, my office is my studio. So if I'm working on cafe stuff, I'm in, I'm in the studio too. Surrounded if I'm working by on your art. Yeah. And, and then, then the other thing is that we own the, that building. We own a few other buildings. And, and I'm kind of now like the landlord for the tenants who rent apartments from us above. So, so I'm more like that's kind of what I do now more. And, and I do a few things for the cafe. And my business partner works day to day with the cafe and the staff. And he's super, I mean, he is super supportive of, of my, my, um, my art making. And so uh, that's, inc I'm incredibly lucky to have someone so, you know, supportive in my life. Um, that is great. Yeah. A collaborator that you click with on many levels who supports you. And yeah. And he's, and he's also family. I mean, he's my, he's my brother-in-law. So, you know, oh, it's, yeah, that's I mean, nice. yeah, he's my, my wife's brother. So, nice. you know, um, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm, I, I really don't have anything to complain about. And we should say that you have an art program in the galleries. Yes. At least in some of the galleries. In the cafes. In the, um, the cafes, I'm yeah. sorry. The Green Lines. Um, mm -hmm. Where you jury shows or uh, yeah, um, accept proposals I kind from of, artists? Yeah, absolutely. We're always, um, we accept proposals on a rolling basis. And if you go to the Green Line, greenlinecafe.com and, and you sort of poke around there, you get to a page that, says how to submit your work. Uh, and I, I pretty much, you know, decide whether I'd like to show someone or not. Um, we're about to um, take, give three locations over to artists from the Center for Creative Works. It's just outside the city. I know that so, place. Yeah, um, artists with disabilities. Wonderful. And we're going to have basically like a solo show of, we're going to have three solo shows, one location, you know, one artist per location um, for March and April. Um, which is going to be exciting. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. So, and then uh, I think it's okay to announce this. Uh, my business partner and I um, have just bought a building uh, at 42nd in Lancaster, um, which is going to become what we call a Green Line workspace, which is going to be a studio building primarily. Wow. Um, yeah. So um, we're we're about to start construction maybe maybe as early as the end of March uh, at renovating the inside to be stu it'll be st just studio workspace about probably about 10 to 15 studios it's not a very large building but there's just no artists workspace in West Philly I and, know. and uh, well I, I was gonna say that you're you will be close to the uh, traction company yes. right yeah so maybe some close synergy to traction between 
Yeah, and I think the People's Emergency Center has just finished a live workspace as well in that area um, that may be already being occupied. Mm -hmm. um, ours will just be studios, and my studio will be there. But No yeah. gallery? No thought of a gallery? Um, I mean, <laughs> I have a lot to do, so... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you can only do so much. Yeah. I got it. Well, that's very exciting. You heard it first here on Art Blog. Yeah. Um, I look forward to that. That's a wonderful thing to do. And it's like, are you going to move your studio there? I'll be there, yeah. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to be moving there. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a really, it feels like a, a really great outgrowth of what the Green Line Cafe has been about. And, um, you know, we've, we've, basically take it, that's what we've done, taken derelict buildings and put life back into them um, so far with coffee houses, um, this time I think with artists, so yeah. Making things useful again. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Douglas, thank you so much for talking oh, with you're me. Welcome. I think we could go on and on and on, but um, thank you. This has been really fun and elucidating and good luck with everything. Thank you, Roberta, it's been fun. Thank you.